Good morning, North Cross Church. So good to be with you. Um, just a delight to share this day with Gary and with all of you. I drove down from Raleigh. I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we go on here. But uh, I passed on my way in uh, the new Publix that was out here, the Publix grocery store. And it made me think of my father. My father uh, spent his whole life in Lakeland, Florida, where Publix is headquartered. He was uh, chief real estate counsel for Publix. And he helped Publix break out of just the state of Florida into places like uh, Lake Norman, North Carolina. And I remembered his favorite joke. He was a lawyer, and he loved to tell jokes on preachers since everybody tells jokes on lawyers. <laughs> his favorite joke about preachers was the little boy is sitting next to his father, and the pastor gets up and puts his Bible down, takes his great big watch off, and puts it right there on the edge of the pulpit. And the little boy says, Daddy, what does it mean when the pastor takes his watch off and puts it right there? And the dad shakes his head and said, Son, absolutely nothing. We're not going to do that to you today. We've got a bunch of preachers here, so we're going to seek to be brief. We've got a short passage of Scripture uh, from one of my favorite places in all the Bible. It's becoming more rich to me all the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to read three verses here at the very beginning. Would you stand as we read God's Word together? Hear now the Word of the Lord to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son into the world. This is the time of the year that we so remember your willingness to send your Son into a world of suffering, to suffer with us, to suffer for us. Jesus, thank you that you came to be Emmanuel, God, with us as the one who was the suffering servant, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many, Lord, your suffering began even with your whole uh, time in the womb and being pushed across uh, the ancient Near East by oppressive governments and having to hide and run for your life as an infant. And, and that took you all the way to a cross. And we thank you for your suffering for us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are long-suffering with us. You are God around us, even God in us. And we praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, today for these wonders. Press the gospel in this new year ahead down deep into us around this space of suffering that we may know your comfort through your mercy far, far more, O oh Lord. May we have new mercy for a new year, and may that be mercy that overflows from us and, and that enables us to share those mercies of yours with others. This is the life of the gospel, the life of your church. May we know it, may we live it, may we share in it. We pray it all, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Dean did a great job, if you were here at the beginning, of sort of saying, we're in the middle of this thing, we're worshiping, but we're embedded inside this presbytery event that's going on, this organizing, overseeing body for your church here at North Cross, and that is going to officially install Gary 
today. So there are people here from the presbytery. I'm not one of those people. I'm just friend to Gary Purdy, and, uh, and I'm glad to be here today. <coughs> Gary has been my friend, a very good friend for over 30 years. Um, my wife, Fran, and I knew Gary's wife, Marilyn, for almost 40 years. Fran knew her for 40 years. I knew her for almost 40 years. Marilyn was in our wedding, and then Fran was in Marilyn and Gary's wedding. Um, Fran was there um, around Marilyn's bedside as she was dying and helped Gary bring her home from the hospital and into hospice care and was there in Birmingham the day that the Lord took her home 11 months ago today. So these relationships are, are very close and, and they go a long way. I love Gary Purdy. I love him. Uh, I love that he has been called to be your pastor. You are getting someone who is a gifted teacher and preacher. You are getting someone who is a godly man, a man of authenticity. You are getting someone who is a great leader and has led in all different kinds of spaces. You're getting something very, very rare in our circles today. There are two of them sitting right over here side by side with Hal and Gary. He is a gifted evangelist. And he is someone God uses to help others come to Christ. And, and God can use him to help you all, us all, grow in that. I love that he's being called to be your pastor. Most of all, though, not just because of all these things and because he's kind and gentle and he'll listen more than he'll speak, but I love that he's being called to be your pastor because he loves Jesus. And more than that, he knows in beautiful, rich, continuing, deepening ways that Jesus loves him. And he has experienced that flow of Jesus' grace and presence and love to him, especially in these 11 months since the Lord took Marilyn to be home. That, that kind of flow of God's grace, God's mercy, his kindness and favor and love and commitment to welcome us and embrace us in our pains, in our sufferings, that flow of mercy is really what being a pastor is all about, being inside of that and sharing that. More than that, it's not just for pastors. Living in that flow of God's mercy, his hesed, his loving kindness, his care and love that meets us in our sufferings and lifts us up out of them, that's really what it means to be a Christian to live in the flow of God's mercies. And that's what you hear Paul saying here, right, as he's opening this letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If my wife were here, and I wish she were because she's, dear to Gary, and Gary is dear to her. Her name is Fran. She would be making fun of me right now as I say this. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. She would make fun of me because she said, Paul, whatever you're preaching on is your favorite passage in the Bible. Whatever it is, it is up that week. But this really, really is one of my favorites, I promise, because as I get older, see, I realize something. If you don't have kind of a theology of suffering of understanding how a Christian deals with suffering and lives inside of suffering and knows God in suffering and has, a, has grace to 
to serve others in their sufferings like you're not going to make it. You are not going to make it. I just turned 61 years old, and I'm feeling this more acutely and deeply than I ever have. I think about it when I think kind of globally and cosmically, the wars and rumors of wars, all this stuff. Our church is very, in San Antonio, connected with, with, with Christians in Ukraine. We've done a lot of mission there. We're very, very connected there, and we just heard of these, these new bombings that have gone over, and it's gone into the area where they are in Lviv. They've been far away, but now they're getting hit. And it just you just feel this, right? You feel it when you even try to begin to understand Palestine and Israel and Gaza and begin to even talk about it. It's so polarizing, right? Much less live inside of that. There's wars and there's rumors of wars. And then you bring, you scale down and you get closer to home and you think about our country and the violence and the mass shootings. And the, and the polarized nature that we can't even have discourse kindly and graciously about things without, without being at each other's throats. We've lost all civility. I mean, there is just so much suffering. And then you click down to the personal, right? And you think about what each of your stories are. I know Gary's right. I know what he's faced the last 12 months seeing his wife, his, his beloved, suffer and die and him have to spend this last year in grief and processing all that. But you've all got your stories of like that. Maybe you've had a death close to you. Maybe you're dealing with death looming in your own life. But we've all got deaths happening all the time, right, on a smaller scale, little d deaths, right? Financial deaths, relational deaths, health de deaths, if it's just short of of total death, right? We've got these kind of things that are going on all the time. And so if you don't have hope in those spaces of suffering for yourself, for others, for the world, you're not going to make it. And that's why I love 2 Corinthians. It's a book about God's mercies in suffering. It's a book, it's a letter. If 1 if Corinthians was the letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about all their problems and all their struggles, ones that they wrote him about and ones that he was aware of, this is a letter about suffering and how you endure in suffering. We've just passed through Christmas. In fact, you know, the traditional church calendar, was. I love that you still have your wreaths up and everything. I think that's so great in your Christmas tree out there. I, I just love that because the church calendar would say we're still in the season of Christmas that, in fact, today is really just the first Sunday in the season of Christmas, even though a lot of us are ready to move on on that in, in cultural ways. Uh, but, but think about the gospel of Christmas, that Jesus came to suffer for us, and it started, you heard it in my prayer, right? It started in, in his pregnancy with his mother Mary and getting shoved around by Caesar and having to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem when his mom was near delivering him and there was no room for him in the inn, right? And he's born in a manger and outside. And then Herod, this kind of more local authority, right, tries to destroy him when he's an infant and he has to flee to Egypt of all places where God brought his people out of before he has to go back into to save not just Israel but the whole world, right? And then he grows up and nobody understands him. His own family wants to commit him, right? Thinking he's crazy. 
his disciples, they're close at times, but they never really get it. And then at the critical moment, right, they all run away. Uh, he's betrayed, not just by Judas, but by all of them. He goes through his passion of the cross, and he suffers the, the most horrid of deaths, right? And that's the little part, right? Because he suffers the very pangs of hell. The judgment of God due against all of our sins across all of time. He came as the suffering servant to suffer for us. But the gospel of Christmas says too, he came as the Emmanuel, God with us to suffer with us, to give meaning and purpose and hope to us in our sufferings, to give us even joy in him, in the middle of our sufferings. I, I'm so moved and touched by the shepherds this Christmas, right? Here are these guys that, we, you know, we see kids dressed up in shepherd's costumes at Christmas time and in the plays and everything with bathrobes and towels for turbans, right? They are not cute little guys. They are despised in their communities. They are typically very poor. They were not allowed as a class to give testimony in a court of law in a Jewish court because they were so thought to be untrustworthy as a people group, as a social group. Um, they lived lives of grinding poverty. You meet them on Christmas night, right, out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night, sleeping on the cold, hard ground, right? And yet this gospel comes to them of God come near, God come near to save, and this baby who's in the manger, and they go and see, and they leave here, right, rejoicing and full of joy and hope in that, even though nothing about their lives has changed. I've just been overwhelmed by this. They run back to the same cold, hard ground, to the same night shift duty with those sheep, to still being away from their families, to still being despised in their communities, to still dealing with poverty and difficulty and oppression, and yet everything had changed. There was joy and hope for them because of this babe in their sufferings. And, and 2 Corinthians takes that gospel of Christmas and, and takes the gospel of Good Friday and Easter too, and ascension, all of it, right? And the reign of Christ, now the session of Christ. All of this gospel across all the space of Christ's redeeming work. And it presses it down into specific places. Near the end of the letter, Paul's going to talk about the thorn that's in his flesh. Maybe it's an eye problem. Maybe it's a constant fever. Maybe he has a physical malnormity, deformity. And he talks about that this is given to him no matter how many times he prayed about it for it to be taken away in chapter 12. He says, you know, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and God chose not to take it away to humble me and to give me mercy, to keep me from pride and to keep me near to him and dependent upon him. There was mercy in the sufferings. Just a chapter earlier in chapter 11, he talks about all the sufferings that he had in his ministry, imprisoned, falsely accused and imprisoned constantly, beaten with rods, stoned one time and left for dead, flogged on multiple occasions, shipwrecked three times, he speaks of, have, have near drownings at sea and near drownings in river, and, and, and the impoverishment and the exposure to the elements and the hunger and the thirst. And he, he says, and besides all these things, 
the daily concerns of the churches. And yet in that space, there was mercy. There was the care and the welcome and the love of God and Jesus comforting him and helping him endure and go forward. And then he talks about back in chapter 4, back toward the front, about for every Christian, how our sufferings as our lives are merged together with Jesus, our sufferings with Christ are creating glory for us with Christ, are creating in us an eternal weight of glory. We're becoming different people. There's a grace and a mercy in our sufferings that God is doing work of weight and beauty and brightness in our souls that can only be done as we suffer with one another. And it all starts back here, right in these opening verses, when he says this, look, here's what life is all about. God's mercy coming to you in your sufferings and comforting you in a way that's indescribable, that's full of hope and even joy, that there's a healing, that there's a balm for your souls here. And that comfort comes to you through his mercy. And out of that comfort, you are able to comfort others in Jesus' name with the sufferings that they have. I, I love that we're in this intersection today. A new year starts tomorrow. A new pastoral season starts for this church. A, a new kind of season ahead, you know, for what God might do in a new way. Love our pastors who have served here in the past and founded the church and served in interim roles. It's just beautiful. But what does God have ahead for North Cross? I believe he has called someone here to lead you in this whole philosophy of ministry that is mercy in the space of suffering that you can experience and know and share with the community around you, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. How can the gospel begin to sing in this broader community as you are knowing God's deep mercies in your own soul and your sufferings and then beginning to share that comfort and that hope with others? Maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions. I, I've made one. I'm going to get off social media for 24. I'm excited about it. <laughs> Very excited about it, actually. I hope I can keep it. I, I remember listening to Dan Rather about eight years ago on NPR talk about the, you know, the, the very famous newscaster, um, you know, and he talked about how he just gave up totally on resolutions. That he, he didn't make them anymore. They were too hard. He said, I wasn't done with them kind of in four or five days. I was done with them in four or five hours. <laughs> They're just too hard. And if Dan Rather, you know, who was embedded in Vietnam as a war correspondent and who ran the daily news in the evening when it was a big deal for decades uh, and who covered elections and global crises and events, if he thought they were too hard, if they're too hard for me and you, then, then we got some company, right? Okay? But I've got a challenge for you. Make there one, be one resolution 
It just says, I want to know God's mercies. I want to, as Jack Miller would say, I want to collapse onto the mercies of Jesus this year. I want to just say, Lord, please meet me where I'm hurting, where I'm suffering, where I don't have answers, where doubts are raging, where there is pain and difficulty, where I'm stuck. Please just come and be present there and be merciful there and comfort me there with your love and then make me an agent of that comfort in this community and beyond. So North Cross Church, maybe you'd be a church in 24 and beyond that is rich in knowing the mercies of Christ, being comforted by them, and sharing that comfort with others. May the Lord do it as we collapse onto his mercies. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we as your children have the privilege to collapse into your arms, to collapse into your mercies, Jesus. To just say, come afresh to us here, Lord. We, we've watched, those of us who are friends with Gary, we've watched him do that uniquely this last year and we have been encouraged and I know that even personally Gary has comforted me out of the comfort he's received from you. May you bless him in being able to share that with this body. May this body experience new mercies. You promised to give them, Lord, would you give them anew in this season ahead and would this church be a place saturated with your mercies deep in the comforting love of God. And may the gospel run deeply and widely from this place in the year and the years and the seasons ahead. We pray it all, Lord Christ, in your name and for your name's sake. Amen. Uh, next in our order of uh, service today, uh, we begin the installation of our new pastor, Gary Get the mic. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> Gary. <laughs> Gary, would you like to come up? I'm going to ask uh, Gary some questions, and then uh, we're, I'm going to turn to the congregation and ask you some questions. Okay. Uh, Reverend Purdy, are you now willing to take charge of this congregation as their pastor, agreeable to your declaration and accepting its call? I am. Do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know your own heart, that in taking upon you this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of the church? Do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of a pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deportment in all respects, becoming a pastor of the gospel of Christ, agreeable to your ordination engagements? I will. Now, I'd like to pose some questions to the congregation. And I'm going to ask you to raise your right hand as you respond. 
Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive Reverend Gary Purdy, whom you have called to be your pastor? Yes. I do. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? We do. Do you engage to continue? To, do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised, and to furnish him with whatever you may seem needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort? among you. We do. we do. Thank you very much. Now the next portion of our uh, service here, I'm going to ask all the ordained uh, elders, ruling elders, okay, and teaching elders in the PCA to uh, come up. Clyde, uh, during this interim time, you've been good to us by keeping us all together, dear Lord. You've been especially good to us by giving us Gary Purdy. Uh, we've received messages about how good of a man he is, how good of a pastor he is, how good of a leader he is since he's chosen to come on board, since you've called him to come on board. And we thank you for that, dear Lord. We thank you for who he is, the man he is, the uh, feedback we get from people of how, he, how he's going to be an exceptional leader for us. I just pray for him, dear Lord, that you give him strength, that you come alongside him in his recent loss, that he'd feel your presence, yes. that he would know your presence on a daily basis. And I pray as a congregation that we would be humble in the way we approach him. We would uh, seek his leadership. We would seek <coughs> to love him as you loved us, dear Lord, that we would love him with all our hearts. And I pray that he would love us. I thank you for him. He's a blessing, and we are grateful to you, God, for your providence in giving him to us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. Okay, if you men would uh, stay up here for a minute, I just uh, wanna repeat, uh, provide the words that are provided in our church, uh, book of church order. And that is, Gary, we give you the right hand of fellowship to take part in ministry with us. Welcome, brother. The next uh, portion of our uh, installation service here is called the Declaration. I now pronounce and declare that Reverend Gary Purdy has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the word of God and according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thanks be to God. Welcome, Gary. Welcome. Uh, the next portion of the installation, um, 
uh, uh, Reverend Farnsworth will uh, give a charge to Gary, and then uh, Hudson Belk will come up and give a charge to the congregation, and that will be followed by uh, the Lord's Supper that will be led by Reverend Gary Purdy. I thought you were going to be up here with me. Okay, I'll look at you. <coughs> so, first thing I want to say, Gary, is I'm so honored uh, that you asked me to give the charge. I uh, came up after the football game last night, got here about 11 o'clock, but it was worth it to be here. <laughs> um, now, to put the charge in, in some context, that not that it's just a member of Presbytery, who's doing what we need to do to get him installed. Um, I need to tell you a little bit about my relationship with Gary. Paul, you got me trumped because I've only known Gary for over 25 years. <laughs> and uh, Gary, along with Paul and four other pastors, we meet once a year for the past almost 15 years uh, for a pastor's retreat. So it's important for you to know that I know this man well. So I first got to know Gary, um, 96, 97. I had just started a church in Athens called Redeemer, right downtown. And Gary had come to be the Campus Crusade director uh, at that time at Georgia. Eventually, he became one of my ruling elders. He was recognized as a leader by our church. Every Tuesday night at Redeemer, which was just across the street from the University of Georgia, Gary had four or 500 students who would come to hear him preach the gospel. Now, Gary's a very a gifted man, gifted communicator. But Gary, I think one of the things that you, you have done and been able to do that has multiplied yourself was your ability to disciple men and women. Numbers of students that were under his ministry are now pastors in the Presbyterian Church, some significant churches like uh, Perimeter Presbyterian in Atlanta. And so uh, you are getting a, a very gifted man. But this is true for all of us. We all have gifts. But that's the, not the mark of a man or a woman, is ultimately our gifts. But it's the attributes that we have. And Gary has many, many attributes. And time does not allow me to tell you of all the attributes. But I think of the one that stands out the most to me and probably Paul is your unbelievable perseverance. The trust in the Lord in circumstances that have been unbelievably difficult. And most recently, the loss of your beloved wife, Marilyn. And so I want this congregation to know that you chose wisely. You can have the confidence that this man has the character and the wisdom that is seasoned by grace. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this congregation. So, so when I come to charge you, it seems kind of weird. We're, we're like old friends. And uh, I think you're a much more gifted man than I am. I've seen God use you in so many ways. So, Gary, I, I don't really so much want to give you a charge as much as an encouragement to continue the path 
and the journey that God has put you on for almost six decades. And so the first thing that I want to encourage you, you in is to continue your faithful preaching of the wonderful good news. Paul gives us lots and lots of instructions throughout his epistles. But Paul boils it down to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, my speech and my message were not in plausible and words <coughs> in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that man's faith might not rest in man's in man's wisdom, but in the power of God. The challenge for any seasoned pastor, you know this. Anybody that's a pastor, Chip, you know this is to say the same thing differently every week for all the instruction that we give. You're going to fail, even if in the omissions. And you today need to hear every week that Christ has accomplished the work, that we're united to him in his death and resurrection. And if that doesn't resonate with you, you have not gotten to the point to the understanding of your need, your deep need for the blood of Christ and his resurrection. That's the first thing. The second thing, Gary, is to continue to seek God's presence in your life above all ministerial duties. Paul gives us insight into his personal life in Philippians uh, when he says this, that I might know him that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. One of the major events in my life was when I was graduating from seminary and uh, I had two options for jobs. And I had a wife and four, and, well, at that time, two kids. And I understood that whatever decision that I made would impact my wife's life in my children's life for the rest of their lives. Would they be Midwesterners in Chicago through church planning? Or should I do RUF in Mississippi and uh, continue that uh, southern uh, accent? <laughs> and I prayed about it. I was in anguish because I love my wife. I didn't want to make a decision and my, because she's so supportive. And I was praying, and I was praying, waiting on the Lord's answer. Finally, Gary, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And here's what he said to me. How I don't care what you do. I don't really care where you go. Because wherever you go, I'm there. Never forget this. I called you first to be a son. And second, to be a minister. And he very clearly said this to me. Hal, if you forget this, you will be a miserable ministry. Sad ministry. An unhappy ministry. So Gary, stay close to Jesus. Because there's no greater friend. 
And if everybody knew you the way Jesus knows you, you wouldn't be their pastor. <laughs> and if you don't understand that, you don't know Jesus. <laughs> Stay close to Jesus. He will always love you. The third thing is this. Continue to nurture your prayer life. You must be a man of prayer. It will not take long for this congregation to see your gifts of preaching and teaching and discipling, your organizational skills, your very clear understanding of a proper philosophy of ministry, and your wisdom. Gary, without a vital prayer life, it's going to eventually ring hollow and the power will not be there. The system will be there. The gifts will be there. But not the power. When you as a congregation pray, and you in your own life pray, and y'all pray together, and Gary, your ministry is empowered by prayer, then God will be glorified. And when God is glorified, that will unite you above all things even the mission of the church, the glory of God, will unite you. His glory, his weightiness will suck you together. So pray, man. And then the last thing, and I think Paul, I guess this is confirmation because this is the most important thing. And I think it's the hardest thing. And it's what you preached on today or alluded to it. And that is this. Continue to embrace your weakness. How many, how many of y'all like being weak? In a culture that worships success and the successful. And we begin to compare ourselves and we see weakness in the wrong way. We see our weakness compared to those who are more gifted than we are. Paul, I believe that the Apostle Paul, when he was younger, was given to wanting to be successful. Very smart man who's climbing up the ladders. And when he came to know Christ, I'm sure in some ways, he's like, well, you got the right man here. But because God loved the Apostle Paul, because God wanted his power working through him, he gave him those afflictions, whatever they were. And they were so severe and made him feel so weak that three times he begs God to take them away. And guess what? He didn't, but at least he gave him the reason and Paul, you alluded it to it, but it says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But what you didn't quote was his response to God's answer. And Gary, here's his response. Therefore, I will boast, boast, and all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, 
then I am content with weaknesses, but when I am weak, I'm strong. Gary, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, could crush us in judgment, and rightfully so. But the only way for him to conquer our greatest enemy was through weakness. So the creator, the almighty, ladies and gentlemen, was born of a woman that we just celebrated, Christmas. And he lived in weakness. He thirsted, he cried, he wept. He was bewildered by disciples that saw all these things that he did and still didn't get it. And he surrenders in weakness, naked on a cross. And in his death, the curtain of the temple was rent. Heaven's gates are opened up. And in that ultimate weakness, we all have the power of salvation through Jesus Christ. So Gary, stay weak. Paul, stay weak. Clyde, stay weak. You're getting old, man. You look kind of weak. <laughs> and I want to just say to you, congregation, Believe the gospel that God is going to do great things among you and in you. And he'll work in in your life and through you. And the goal is not to have a huge church. Just trust me. I think once they get big enough, you probably ought to start another one anyway. But may God bless you, my dear brother, that these would be years of joy. And may the Holy Spirit be poured out upon North Cross Church in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Hal. That was a great word. And what we needed to hear, and I, I'm so thankful and can count it a privilege to be able to charge you North Cross. One, because I love you so dear and have been a part of this congregation for... 11, 12 years uh, now, and uh, care deeply about it. But I want to start off by just thanking God for his faithfulness to us, his goodness to us, how we are a weak church. And we are a weak church. And over the last 18 months, we were aware of weaknesses in different ways. We didn't have a senior pastor. We're considering changing buildings. And we're full of sinners needing God's grace. And yet God has been so good to us so gracious to us. And so, North Cross, before I give a charge, I also want to just commend you. I want to commend you for your perseverance, for your patience, for your unity, for your love for God and for one another during this time of transition, during this time that we're looking for, for Gary. And so, uh, I do commend you for that, and thank you for the ways that you've supported the session, encouraged the session, the ways you've um, really serve the church with so many different areas of need. And so I thank you for that. I commend you for that. And I remind us that God is in our midst, and he's at work, and he's been so gracious to us. I was even reflecting as I thought, what do I want to charge you with? And I was just overwhelmed with how God has been at work in our midst, that he has taught us our great need for prayer as a congregation. And I think he's grown us in that. He's grown us to trust him and his promises with a lot of uncertainty in our church. 
He has made us more and more learn what it looks like to die to ourselves and care for one another in the midst of suffering and struggles, different preferences on what things should look like. He's been at work sanctifying us. And so I want to thank God for that as he's taught us what it looks like to be committed to the peace and purity of the church. And also just the joy of knowing and making him known, a God who is good, gracious, and faithful in all his ways. And so let's continue as we take Gary in as our senior pastor to be a people who are weak and fall upon God's grace and look to the gospel. That's what's got us to this point, and that's what will carry us through. And we've heard that in all that we've heard already. I also want to commend you for taking the vows that you just made to receive Gary as your pastor, to receive the word from him, to encourage him, to support him. Um, And as I was thinking about what I want to charge us with, a few passages came to mind. And one was just a charge, or what, what Peter gives us in 1 Peter 12, the role of an elder is to shepherd the flock of God, to exercise oversight, not with compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but to be an example to the flock. Friends, brothers and sisters, we want Gary to thrive in that, to find joy in that, to be supported, for this to be a home where he can actually live that out and know that we are for him. It's for his good, it's for our good, it's for the good of the church, and it's for God's glory. And so, how can we do that? Well, Hebrews, then of Hebrews, um, chapter 13, says one way that we live into that as the congregation is to obey your leaders and and to submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. But let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God has given leaders to the church. God's given leaders to this church for the good of our souls. And it's good for us to submit and to obey. And as we do that, by faith in Christ, it brings joy to our leaders, but also to us. And so for the good of North Cross, let's submit and obey. And the last passage that came to my mind was from 1 Thessalonians 2. And this is where Paul is talking about his ministry team as they minister to the Thessalonians that their ministry was marked both with the authoritative proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and with gentle, loving, pastoral care. 1 Thessalonians 2 says that Paul and his ministry team were like nursing mothers who gently cared for the people. They were so affectionately desired for them that they not only told them the gospel, but they shared their lives together. But then, then they said they were also like a father instructing their children who would exhort them in the good news of the gospel and would call them and charge them to live lives worthy of God. We want Gary to thrive in that. And we want to be the kind of people that receive that from him. And so my charge, to be clear, is to, to, is to submit to and to love Gary. It's pretty simple. To submit and to love Gary. Submit to Gary and his leadership out of its trust to the Lord that God has brought Gary as his under-shepherd to this congregation. We have heard it already this morning that Gary is a gift to us. And let's receive him as that. 
God has prepared Gary for this ministry through so many different ministries that he's been, uh, he's, that he's grown in through campus ministry, through working, um, as doing outreach through a church, through doing a church plant. God has brought Gary through a lot, a lot and has prepared him for us. And he's also brought him, as we heard, through a lot of suffering, where he's been broken and needy, and he has seen the one who can meet him in that. God has taken Gary through all of that, that he might give that to us, that he might comfort us, that he might point us to Jesus. And so let's receive and submit to Gary because God has prepared him for us. I also want to remind us of something else, and that's that Gary is not our two previous senior pastors. We are so thankful um, for our previous pastors. Chip, we are so thankful for your courage to start this church and the way you have cared so well for so many people here. And we're so thankful for Sid and the way that he cared for us. But now God has brought us Gary, and he's not Chip, and he's not Sid. And he's brought Gary into this next chapter of the life of North Cross to lead us out of his own story, out of his own gifts, out of his own walk with Christ. And so let's submit to Gary's leadership, not as Gary being our Savior, but as Gary being a sinner saved by grace who God has uniquely given the responsibility to point us to Jesus. So Gary is not the Savior of this church, but he now has the great responsibility to point us to Jesus, and we're so thankful. So with joy until. Uh, with faith to the Lord, let's submit to Gary as such. And what might that look like? Well, we just took vows to receive the word from him, from his mouth, with meekness and love. So let's come regularly, eagerly, every Sunday, ready to hear the word, to meet with God through Gary's leading and worship, the sacraments, and the proclaiming of God's truth and the gospel. Let's come eager and hungry to hear from Jesus, not with a critical spirit, making sure that Gary hits all the points that we want and um, he fulfills every wish that we have, but come wanting to hear the good news of Jesus from Gary and allow Gary to know you, to counsel you, to give you the words of encouragement you need and the hard truth that you might need as well. Allow him to lead you. So let's submit with joy for his sake, for our sake, and for the glory of of God. But let's also love him. You also made the vow to encourage him in his labors and to assist in his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification. So how can we love Gary? Well, we heard the best way Gary can love the church is by running after Jesus, falling upon his mercy daily. North Cross, we need Jesus. The best way you can love Gary is running to Jesus, being aware of your deep need for him and his truth. Also, you can love Gary by allowing yourself to be known by Gary and getting to know Gary. You're going to have plenty of opportunities to do that. But be hospitable. Create space. Allow yourself to be known by Gary and to know him. And may this be a place that's a home away from home for Gary. This is his new home. Let's come around him. Accept him. Um, for Gary is one of us. Let's also, how can we love Gary? Be gracious to Gary. Let's be a community of grace where Gary can love us, where he can serve us, where he can give himself to us and know that when he fails, 
we will give him room to repent, that we will reflect Christ, that we will be gracious to him, that we actually believe the gospel that he's going to be proclaiming to us. May we be a community of grace around Gary. How can we love Gary? Actually tell him how God is at work through him and in your life. Use your words to encourage Gary. Sometimes it can be so quiet when Gary's speaking all the time. He's wondering what's going on in the hearts of our people. Please tell Gary how God is at work as he ministers to us. And so I would also say pray for Gary. Pray for Gary now as he transitions into this new ministry. Pray for him as he continues to grieve the loss of his wife. Pray for him that he would drink richly from the fountain of mercy and that God would protect him from the lies of the enemy. Pray for Gary. And then lastly, serve this church and its mission. And that will be a way you can love Gary. And so more could be said, but let's be a community where Jesus is lifted up, where he's glorified, where together we drink from the fountain of grace. And, we, and may we be a community sent on mission um, for him. And so let's do that as we submit to Gary and the session's leadership and love Gary well. Thank you. Installation services are kind of like coming to a baseball game that you didn't know was going to be a doubleheader. <laughs> um, there's nothing more important than we will do this morning than this. This is the table of our Lord. This is the Jesus who became weak for us and who invites all of us who are weak, uh, but desperate for Jesus to come and partake. And though these physical elements are just like terrible hors d'oeuvres, <laughs> uh, they're a sign of a greater feast that is to come. So we would invite all that uh, who are really weak uh, and know that Jesus Christ is their only home, hope to come and take of this meal. How we celebrate here is everybody coming through the middle aisles, going back on the side aisles, and then we'll take the elements all together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. And then he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this, remembering me. So would you come and feast on the person of Christ for you? pastorate in uh, Chattanooga. I performed it with the founding pastor who said I was actually church playing pastor Joe Novenson and he sobbed tears of weakness and hope in the grace and power of Jesus and demonstrated for me much more than a theological concept that this really means something. There's spiritual power here. So for all those who are weak like me and like Jesus who became weak for us, we take this bread as his body and we eat it, remembering him. Not only did he offer his broken body, 
he shed his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Would you take and drink the cup of our Lord? And Spirit, as we taste this light hors d'oeuvre, may it inflame in us a greater hunger and would by the power of your Spirit, you nourish us for us to receive the grace that we desperately need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.